Thank you to our worship team week in and week out leading us uh, as we seek to worship our Heavenly Father as a congregation. Uh, we had uh, two families uh, involved uh, with the worship team uh, out in Florida uh, this week. Um, so kudos to Michaela and the Haynes girls back there manning the media station back there. Uh, thank you guys uh, for your work and leading us in worshiping our Heavenly Father. So here we are uh, at the end of our series on being a good steward of God's money. Uh, I got to tell you, uh, it is often uncomfortable uh, to talk about money in a church setting. There is a very uh, negative stigma uh, with churches talking about money, and I think that's due to a rotten few uh, spoiling that for everyone else. Um, but even with a, a very negative uh, stigma uh, surrounding church and money, I think it's still very crucial uh, to talk about as a church, as so much of our lives revolves around money. And on top of that, money was a constant theme throughout the Bible. Uh, a lot of the teachings of Jesus revolved around the possessions that we have, the, the, the money that we attain. And so if it's a, a topic that, that is talked about frequently throughout the Bible, I think it's important that we talk about uh, this topic uh, on Sunday mornings as well. And uh, so I thank you all uh, for bearing with me as we talked about this at times uncomfortable uh, topic of money in a church setting and again, I can assure you, it makes me uncomfortable at times as well. Uh, but this is a superb example uh, that, that what we do as a church isn't about what I want. It's not about what you guys want. It's not about what our neighbors want. Ultimately, it's all about what God wants. And you can uh, rest assured knowing that I try my best uh, to make decisions here that would please God. Uh, I'm reminded of my uh, grandfather uh, on his deathbed, uh, deathbed um, when he was in hospice care. Uh, the, the hospice nurses, they uh, had this little board here of the, the essential information of each patient. And uh, on his board, they, they have a goal for each of the different patients. I've shared this with you all before. But his goal for the day, uh, his last day uh, of his life, uh, his goal was to please God. And that, uh, as a big role model in my life, that encourages me and inspires me uh, to seek to please God with all that I do. So I'm sorry uh, with decisions uh, that we make at church, uh, including what to preach on. I'm not concerned about what you want, not concerned what I want, not concerned uh, what our neighbor, uh, neighbors want. I'm just focused on what uh, God would want. And, and I say I'm sorry, uh, but truth be told, I'm not really sorry uh, for seeking uh, to please God other than uh, what others may want. And I'm convinced God does want us to talk about this uncomfortable topic of money because it is such a constant theme throughout his word. And so as we end this series today, it's been a five-week series, uh, we must remember where we started this series. We started this series by talking about how we feel about money. And this serves as a foundation for all of our talk on money. And if you forget the four proper Christian feelings that we should have towards money, 
Ask Chloe uh, over here. She nailed it uh, last week when I asked, what were the four proper Christian feelings uh, towards money? And they are, it all belongs to God. All the money that, that, uh, that sits in our piggy bank and our bank account and our wallets, that it all ultimately belongs to God. On top of that, we, we cannot trust money. It is so foolish to put our hope in the uncertainties of our riches. On top of that, we, we, we can't love money. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. I mean, we see that on a daily basis, people making wicked decisions because they love money. And then the fourth proper Christian feeling that we should have towards money is that we cannot serve money. Jesus says it is impossible to serve both God and money. Not a law, not a commandment, but a fact of life. You cannot serve both God and money. And so then as we understand the, the framework uh, of money in our day-to-day -day lives, we can then talk about how we earn money, how we spend money, how we save money. And last week we talked about how we advance God's kingdom with our money. And today uh, we conclude our series on being a good steward of God's money by talking about how we give money away. And now whenever we talk about uh, giving money as a church, uh, tithing is usually uh, the biggest topic at hand. When uh, we take a look at tithing in the Bible, if, if we were to do a, a very brief survey uh, from beginning to end, we see that uh, in the book of Genesis, both Abraham and Jacob, they both uh, provided a tithe. They, they both provided a tenth. And this was long before uh, the law of Moses, a couple of hundred years before the law of Moses. Uh, ever uh, arrived onto the scene. And then Moses comes along, and Moses, he led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt under God's direction. And God provided a set of rules uh, for the Israelites to follow as they were wandering ar around in the wilderness for 40 years, and as they were getting ready to establish themselves as a nation. And, and a couple of these rules revolved around a tithe. There, there was, there's actually a couple of tithes mentioned during the Mosaic Law. There, there's the Levitical tithe, uh, pr providing for the priests, the, the Levites. Uh, the tribe that belonged to God. Uh, there was uh, the tithe of the feast, and there was also uh, the tithe for the poor, which was taken every third year. And so with these uh, different tithes, these three different tithes, there, there's some discussion as to whether the Israelites uh, were required to give 10% of their income or 23.3% uh, with, with the two separate tithes and then a third tithe given every third year. But we have to remember that the nation of Israel was a religious nation, a theocracy. And some view uh, the tithe during the law of Moses similar to a taxation uh, system uh, that, that we live in today to sustain itself as a nation. And so that's all the Old Testament before the law of Moses and during the, the time of the law of Moses. It, it was commanded in the law of Moses. Now, when we flip uh, the page to the New Testament, there is no explicit command to tithe in the New Testament. Jesus does tell the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 23 that they ought to tithe. You know, Jesus, he was really ripping into the Pharisees and the scribes and how they were hypocrites and they were neglecting some of the weightier matters like love and justice. But on top of these weightier matters, he said you ought to tithe as well. Now, 
the, the discussion uh, comes into play as in whether in the 21st century are we commanded to tithe? Is that something that we are held to? Are we sinning if we do not tithe? And uh, I personally, uh, I'll share uh, my personal thoughts. I personally am under uh, the impression that we are not uh, commanded uh, to tie today. But I'll warn you, this is not a universal opinion. There, there are uh, phenomenal Bible scholars who, who know the Bible uh, a lot better than I do, uh, to be frank. And, and, and they would, they, they would uh, say that tithing still is commanded uh, today. So that's, that's very much not a universal opinion. Um, there might be uh, good Bible students here uh, who, who would disagree with that sentiment that we aren't commanded uh, to tithe anymore. Uh, but if I don't think uh, we are commanded uh, to tithe today in the 21st century, then, then what are we to do as Christians? And to me, uh, the, the answer seems pretty simple. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And to me, uh, th- th- this makes it all very simple for us in the 21st century. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, uh, verses 6 and 7, Paul writes, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful uh, giver. And so here Paul says that we must give what we have decided in our heart. And and we must give with a cheerful heart. You know, if if you're anything like me, sometimes I will uh, make a certain decision that I feel like is the right decision because I feel like it's obligatory for for me to make that decision, like like it's necessary for me. And and I don't have uh, necessarily uh, great motives in making that decision, but I just want to stay out of trouble. So I'll make uh, certain decisions in that that regard. Uh, But when it comes to the case of giving, Paul says that it should not be out of a guilty, reluctant heart to give. Instead, we should give out of a cheerful heart. It should, it should be our joy and it should be our pleasure to give our money away. And Paul says that, that when we are generous with, with giving money away, money away, then God returns that same generosity back to us. And here in verse 7, to to me, this is a command. Each one must give. You and I, we must give as he has decided in his heart. And so each and every one of us, we we have uh, this instinct in us to determine what we should give and to me, I think we are commanded to, to follow that instinct. We, we are commanded to follow the, these feelings that God lays within our heart. It, it should not be reluctantly. It should not be under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. And when we take a look at, at, at the scriptures, there, there are two superb examples to me who follow this principle uh, of giving not reluctantly, but, but giving with pure joy. And the, and the first example that we're going to take a look at this morning is uh, the tax collector, Zacchaeus. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 19. Does anybody uh, know the, the, the song of Zacchaeus? 
Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. He said, Zacchaeus, you come down for we're going to the house, or your house today for we're going to your house today. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, uh, that, that's all about uh, the tax collectors, Zacchaeus, found in the book of Luke in Luke chapter 19. And so here, as we pick up in Luke chapter 19, Jesus, uh, before this, he was uh, in Galilee to the north. Uh, There's Galilee, then Samaria, then the Judean uh, region. And uh, Jesus, he was headed down south towards uh, Jerusalem. Uh, He was on his way to die. He knew that he was going to die in Jerusalem. And he made this long journey uh, from uh, Galilee all the way down to Jerusalem. And about 15 miles uh, northeast of uh, Jerusalem lied the city of Jericho. And so on this journey that Jesus had on his way to die, I mean, he, he is a hero. He, he pursued with passion on this journey, knowing that he was going to die in Jerusalem. If it were me, and, and I knew the place I, I were dying was down south in Jerusalem. You know where I'd be running? I'd be running up north. Uh, but Jesus, he, he continued this journey on southward towards the city of Jerusalem. And according to uh, the records that we have, this is the last stop that Jesus made before he entered the city of Jerusalem. And so we read here in chapter 19, verse 1, uh, Luke writes, He, that, that being Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And so here Jesus, he, he is entering Jericho. Jericho was near uh, the Jordan River. It was uh, on the richest uh, plain of Palestine. It was a very, very wealthy and important uh, town of its time. It flourished uh, with uh, some of the top of the line uh, products. It, it was known to have great palm forests and uh, wor- world famous balsam uh, groves, which perfumed uh, the air for miles around. It was known as the city of palms and the historian Josephus and called it a divine region. So Jericho, Jer- Jericho is a big time deal in, in this Palestine uh, region. It-, it was a very wealthy city with, with all of these luxurious uh, goods that uh, the city of Jericho had. And uh, the chief tax collector in Jericho was Zacchaeus, which was a very appropriate spot for a superior rank officer uh, to preside over uh, the, the collection of the taxes. And so here Zacchaeus, he taxes the Jews on behalf of the, the Roman Empire. As these Jews, they, they lived in the overwhelming Roman Empire, and they had to pay their taxes. And so that was Zacchaeus's role. He, he had to collect taxes from the Jews to give a uh, to the Roman Empire. In verse 9, which we'll uh, read later, verse 9 suggests that Zacchaeus himself was a Jew. And so here we have this Jew taking money away from other Jews and giving it away to the Roman Empire. And he makes a fortune by charging more tax than is necessary and profiting off of it. And so here's this greedy man, Zacchaeus, collecting taxes in a very wealthy city. And we see in verse 3, Luke writes, And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. 
So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. So here's Zacchaeus. He, he was a small man, and, and so Jesus, he, he, he drew large crowds. And I'm sure there, there was a large crowd here to see Jesus at the city of Jericho. And, and being a short guy, Zacchaeus, he couldn't see over uh, the people in front of him. I, I can uh, re- relate with him here. It's tough being a short guy. And you're in the back of the pack there. You can't see over the tall guys in the front. So Zacchaeus, a, a small man, he was also a very smart man. And I guess he, he kind of saw uh, the route that Jesus was taking it. And so he went on ahead of the crowd and he found a sycamore tree uh, and he decided uh, to climb that sycamore tree as Jesus was about to pass that way. Uh, he, uh, Zacchaeus, uh, he, he wasn't uh, a popular guy in the region. So it's not like he could have asked, hey, can you guys make room? I want to see who this uh, Jesus figure is and what he is all about. So he had to come up with his own cunning uh, solution to see who this Jesus figure was all about. And so we see in, in verse five, uh, Luke writes, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, that's Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He, ha- he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And so Jesus here, he, he, he's on his way, he's on his way to Jerusalem, passing through the city of Jericho with all these large crowds around him. And Jesus sees the, the short man uh, hanging out uh, in this tree. And Jesus calls this man by name. He says, Zacchaeus, you come down. And now we, we can assume uh, with reason uh, that they have never met before. But here Jesus, he calls Zacchaeus by name. And he tells Zacchaeus, you come down from the tree. And and, and what is Zacchaeus' response here? Zacchaeus, he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. He was so glad that that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, had called him down to the tree. And Zacchaeus, he received him with joy. And how do you think this made the other people feel? Well, they grumbled about it, and we see about that in verse 7. They, they grumbled. He has gone into the, to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And so here is Zacchaeus and Jesus having fellowship with one another, and all these people around them are grumbling because they're, they're, they're thinking, hey, that's Zacchaeus. That's the guy who is jipping us out of our money. Why is Jesus hanging out with a sinner? You know, I might have the, those same exact thoughts, those same exact complaints. And then we see here in uh, verse 8, as we close out this passage here, it reads, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so here's Zacchaeus, he, he received Jesus joyfully. And, and what was his response to receiving Jesus joyfully? His response was that he was going to give away half of his goods to the poor. And on top of giving half of his goods to the poor, he said 
that if he cheated anyone out of their money, and he did, he, he was going to repay them fourfold. He was getting to give them four times as much money that he cheated them out of. Talk about a good investment there if you were cheated out of that money. Uh, but, but here, G, or here Zacchaeus, he accepted Jesus as his Lord, and that led him to give away half of it, more than half of his money as he joyfully accepted Jesus. And so he is a great example of someone who gave away his money with a cheerful heart. You know, for me, uh, when, when we talk about uh, the tithing, uh, part of the downside uh, uh, believing that the tithe is still commanded in my eyes is people become complacent uh, with giving away uh, 10%. But God has placed some people in a position to give a lot more uh, than 10%. Zacchaeus, he, he was a very, very wealthy man, and he could cheerfully give away more than half of his money away. And some of us may, may be in a similar uh, position uh, to Zacchaeus. And some of us may be able to give away a lot more than, than 10% with a cheerful heart. As Zacchaeus accepted the Lord with joy and his response was to go and give half of his goods to the poor. And I love Jesus' response to this in verse 9. Today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Whereas previously, Zacchaeus, he was lost. He had not had salvation. But when he joyfully received Jesus... And he cheerfully, joyfully gave away half of his possessions. It was then Jesus said that today salvation has come to this house. And so I love the example of Zacchaeus following the, the simple principle of giving what you decide in your heart. And not doing it out of reluctance, but doing it with a cheerful heart because God loves a cheerful giver. The second being that we can read uh, through the scriptures, who gave with a good heart. Uh, we can read about in, in John 3.16. John 3.16, probably a verse uh, that many of us can quote here. But Jesus, in the midst of his conversation uh, with Nicodemus, Jesus says, For God so loved the world, that what? That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only son. And it's not under compulsion, it's not out of reluctance that God gave his son Jesus, but he did it out of his love for you and I. Is there any better way to learn how to be a voluntary and cheerful giver than to observe the way God gave. We are made in that image. We are made in the image of the God with all of his power and all of his authority freely gave away the thing that was most precious to him, his beloved son, Jesus. The one person who did not rebel against him, his beloved son, and he freely gave him up for us. Why? Because God loves us. 
And we are made in that image of the God who voluntarily and cheerfully gave us eternal life. There is nothing better to give than eternal life. You cannot top this act of generosity displayed by God. And again, God did it not out of reluctance, not out of compulsion. He didn't have to, but he did it out of his love for you and I. And to me, those are two supreme examples found in the Gospels of one Zacchaeus, a man, a tax collector, a sinful man, and the other, the almighty God who gave with a cheerful heart. And we need to mirror that example today in the 21st century as we must give what we have determined in our heart, not out of reluctance, not out of compulsion, but Give from a cheerful heart. And so as we conclude our series on being a good steward of God's money, we, we must realize that money plays an enormous, an enormous role in our lives. We, we, we practically deal with money on a daily basis. And money was a major topic throughout the Bible I think part of why it was a major topic throughout the Bible is because it is a topic that we can severely get off track on. It's a topic that can serve as a huge stumbling block for us in our spiritual walk with God. You know, how we manage money is such a great barometer, it's such a great measurement of our spiritual walk. It's a powerful testament to your Christianity. And for some people, the way they handle their funds is a powerful testament that they have a relationship with God that is on fire, a relationship that is filled with passion and love. And unfortunately for others, the way that they handle their funds is a very powerful testament that they have a phony relationship with God. That, is not, that, that it is not a relationship that is ever growing, that it's a distant relationship that is fading away. And we must ensure that, that we together as a church, that we manage God's money in, in a way that serves as a powerful testament that we are ever growing closer to God. And we do that by living out the four proper Christian feelings towards money. We, we, and we can do that by, by how we earn money, how we save money, how we spend, and, and how we give away the money that God has blessed us with as well. This is, so as we talk about giving away our money uh, today, I encourage you guys this Thanksgiving season as we celebrate this Thursday, some may celebrate Friday, but, but for those of us who celebrate it on Thursday, I encourage uh, you all uh, to focus on the many ways in which God has blessed you. And as you reflect on the many ways in which God has blessed you and the many reasons that you have to be grateful, I encourage you then to cheerfully give away your time, cheerfully give away your possessions, cheerfully give away your, your money, cheerfully give away who you are. Because God loves, he loves a cheerful giver. And he has given us a great example of what a cheerful giver looks like as he loved us so much. For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son. No better example than that. And so together as a church, let's take this extremely powerful resource of money 
and let's ensure that we are being good stewards of God's money. Can we do that? Awesome. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for the many ways uh, that you bless us, uh, the, the families that we have been blessed with, the, the, the friends, the monetary possessions, uh, the, all the ways. We go on and on, Father, uh, of all the ways that you bless us. And so, Father, th- this Thanksgiving season, we, we just give you thanks. We are grateful for who you are and who we are as your children. And Father, it's, it's my prayer this morning that, that we use this powerful resource of the money that you provide with us, that we use it to expand your coming kingdom, that we use it to grow closer to you, that the money that, that we possess can be a powerful testament that we love you. Father, it's in your precious son's name that we pray. Amen.